0: I don't think I had read Jane Austen until I saw the uh, BBC version oh. 90, with with Colin well, Firth and all the best version. And... I yeah, mean. oh, I love you, Allison. Yes, <laughs> the best version, um, and just was like, where has this been all my life? And of course, right. gobbled up all the other adaptations I could find, and then um, read the books.
1: Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and welcome back to the show. This is episode seven of season five. This is my 99th episode. So if you have ideas for how I should celebrate, um, go to the Facebook group. If you're not a member, become a member. It's easy. And um, just search for Historical Fiction Unpacked podcast group on Facebook, or you can can get there from the show notes as well. And let me know your ideas for how we should celebrate the 100th episode. It's not going to be as involved as um, our two-year anniversary episode because that I planned ahead of time. And this kind of sneaked up on me a little bit. And I'm thinking more like maybe a giveaway or something that's not too involved because I already know next week's guest will be Jocelyn Green, since her um, book releases next week, The Metropolitan Affair. But today, I'm sharing a conversation I had with Julie Klassen. And I really enjoyed this. I had never had Julie on the show before. And um, we had a really great conversation. It was a little, it got a little longer because she kept asking me about my own writing. So if you're curious about what I'm writing, this is the episode for you. But also if you're curious about Julie, because Julie's books are great. And it was really neat to hear about her story and how she became a writer and about this book that released in December called The Sisters of Seaview. It's the beginning of a new series. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Julie Klassen. Julie, thank you for joining me on the show today.
0: Thank you, Allison. I'm happy to be here.
1: Good. Great to have you. Your latest novel, The Sisters of Seaview, released in December, and it's the first in your new On Devonshire Shores series, I understand.
0: That is correct. Yeah.
1: Can you tell me about this book and this new series?
0: Happily, happily. So this book is about four genteel sisters who find themselves impoverished after their father dies. And having very few other options, they decide to open their seaside home to guests Mm -hmm. to make ends meet. And they expect to host elderly invalids because they historically flock to the shore for their health. Uh But instead, they find themselves hosting some rather quirky guests as well as eligible gentlemen like a scottishman a Scotsman mm-hmm. with a secret agenda,
1: oh wow, that's an interesting premise. So what inspired you to write this novel?
0: Well, um I love to do research, and one of my favorite research books um goes into a lot of detail about some of the careers that women had that we might not think of because we're used to hearing that uh, women can only. Especially, ladies could only do certain things. They could only be a governess or maybe a companion. But actually, women in in a hard times find them, found themselves doing many other things. Mm-hmm. So one of the um one of the one of the professions that women had was offering accommodation from their own home, especially on the seaside. And this was, you know, considered an ideal business for women because it was fairly socially acceptable and they already had domestic knowledge. They were used to playing, you know, the generous hostess and having people in for dinner. So that's where kind of the idea came from. And of course, I thought it would be fun to have these uh, ladies who've never had to do a day's work in their lives suddenly having to, you know, make beds and clean rooms and
1: help serve meals to
0: strangers.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So the rest that you described, what happens in the first book, is the rest of the series kind of just a continuation? Or,
0: well, that's um, that's the primary focus of the of the first book is getting that getting that going. And there is all the books will have uh, they have romance and there's little, little bits of mystery involved in each one. Um, by the time the second book rolls around, which is quite fresh in my mind because I just turned it in yesterday <laughs> uh, to my editors. Um, this this one is going to be uh, somewhat different because I mean it still has the same setting. The, the sisters, um, one is now kind of a little bit more off camera, as it were, because she's married. But um, they have the kind of host royal visitors to
1: the oh. seaside town,
0: which is a, a based on historically uh, historically historical visit from um, the, the Duke of. Oh now I'm going to have a brain freeze here. The Duke of Kent and his okay. uh, wife, the Duchess, and their young daughter, who be, who was the future Princess Victoria, Queen Victoria. Oh wow! So and they so that's been fun to take a, um, a historical you know, fact, and then to kind of. Blend my uh, fictional characters and all of that um, with these historical figures in a in a hist- in a fictional way. And of course, I'll mention that in the uh, in the author's note. I am not a historian. Uh, I don't write history, but it's been fun. It's been a little bit different of a challenge, but there yeah. still will be uh, romance, and there is also a little subplot of a mystery in this one. Uh, with one of the guests as well so a little bit different it's in the winter set in the winter um, where this one is of course more in the summertime so I think there will be plenty of variety while you still get to revisit the characters you hopefully uh, will come to love
1: right oh that's lots of fun um, so what made you want to set this series on the Devonshire seaside
0: well you could get me started talking on this and I could go all day but I won't I love England I think Anyone who's read my books or or stopped by my website knows I love England, Mm. and I have been to Devonshire. Most people call it Devon now, but um, Jane Austen called it Devonshire, so it's close enough for me. Uh, But there's just I love that love that part of England, Um, obviously with with the seaside and yes, very. Charming villages and all of that, and the seaside is just a, a winning combination. Um, and I also I picked that town specifically. I had not been to Sidmouth when I first um, started um, plotting and writing this book. I've uh, been to other other parts of Devon, um, but Jane, we know that Jane Austen visited visited there with her family and mm. may have even fallen in love there. Uh, the jury's out on that. But um, oh, okay. so that was that. That was the impetus for choosing. Sidmouth in particular. okay, And I have since been able to visit just in end of August, early September. And I think I made a good choice. I loved it even more after Mm. being there in person.
1: Oh, that's neat. So each of the four sisters, and their last name is um, Summers, the Summers sisters, Sarah, Emily, Viola, and Georgiana, Mm -hmm. um, they're unique. What is the most important thing to know about each sister?
0: Well, Sarah is the oldest at home. Now, there is another sister, but we don't get to meet her for a while yet. So oh, there are five. Mm-hmm. There, uh, sh- There is one that has been sent away kind of in disgrace that we slowly learn about throughout book one uh, and then okay. much more later. Uh, but yes, the four that we meet in book one, Sarah is the oldest living at home. She is that practical uh, older uh, sister, very responsible. Mm-hmm. She's the one who's going to make this, you know, this lodging house work because she's going to do half the work herself, and make her her sisters uh, do the rest. Um, so that's Sarah. And then next we have twins, uh, but they're fraternal twins that look nothing alike. We have Emily and Viola, mm-hmm. and I I've really found those two interesting to write because we have Emily who was, was grown up as the "quote unquote" pretty sister. So she's mm. pretty and charming and vivacious. And then Viola was born with a birth defect with a with a cleft lip, which oh. has since been repaired, but she has a scar and she's very self-conscious. And in that time period, I mean, it's it still exists today, but in that time period, the prejudice was very heavy. Mm. Um, there was a lot of, you know, old wives' tales and um, oh, yeah. Superstitions and people were afraid if they looked upon a person with that, that they're all, if they were, especially if they were carrying a child at the time that their own child might be affected. It was, it was pretty horrendous. So I found mm-hmm. it, that a very interesting um, tension to have the pretty, the pretty twin quote unquote, and the one who she wears a veil basically whenever she goes out in public. Oh, She's wow. So self-conscious. So
1: was, I'm sure that with, um, in that time they probably couldn't repair it the the way they can now, where it's almost, you know, not, you can't even see it. You know, I I know someone who was born with that and you wouldn't even know it now.
0: I know. And thank God, because now there are so many, so much procedures are so much better and they're wonderful organizations um, like Smile Train and others who make those kind of surgeries much more affordable or feasible for people who would otherwise not have them. So looking, doing some research into the former procedures, there were procedures, they were pretty gruesome, Looking at back, look back at some of those historical ads for people promising they could you know sew it up and oh. put a metal plate in and all be good. I mean it was pretty pretty gruesome. So she has hers has been repaired. I did not give her a severe you know a severe cleft, which I'm guessing they most of those children, the ones who had the, definitely the whole the whole palate cleft right. would not have survived in in the early 19th century just because they couldn't feed and they're prone to infection. So yes. he, she had yeah. a cleft lip, um, mostly fairly well prepared or uh, repaired, but yes, one of those things that makes you glad for, for modern, modern medicine. Right. For sure. And then the last sister, the youngest sister is Georgiana or Georgie who's, uh, you know, the tomboy, the, the mm. kind of the fun loving wants to be outside and, and running around. So she's comic relief in, in some <laughs> ways and a, a joy to write for sure.
1: Yeah, and and what ages are the sisters when the book Oh, opens? you are
0: quizzing me, Allison. <laughs> well, let's see. I'm not going to get this exactly right, but um because well, already, they are they're, they're a year older now in book 2, so I may okay. I may stumble a little bit, but something like Sarah being 26, so she's kind mm-hmm. of considered a spinster. Yeah. Um then the twins are quite there's an age gap there only 21 in book 1.
1: Okay. And then
0: Georgie is 15 in oh. book 1. So there's a nice. there's a spread there. right
1: um and do you have experience with twins is that why you made some of the sisters twins or
0: no that's a good question i not only do i know not not have any experience with twins i don't even have sisters oh wow Um, so i think part of me i kind of wanted to Create the sisters that I kind of always <laughs> wished I'd had, right. um, but I am fascinated, and I by twins, um, the, all the different nuances, and even with you know I'm sure there's a whole other complication with with when you're uh, identical, um, quote unquote identical, and yeah. even with fraternal twins. And I did read, um, I won't name names, but I did read an interesting uh, kind of a series of uh, blog posts about um, one, uh, one fraternal twin who was kind of that in her mind, the plain twin who was married to the, or whose twin sister was this gorgeous mm. woman. And mm-hmm. it was very interesting. There was no, you know, there, there, were no defects or, you know, there wasn't anything like that. It wasn't like she had any right. kind of surgeries or anything, but just reading about that, how that must be, you know, you always hear about, you know, sibling rivalry or, you know, sometimes there's that
1: tension yes. between
0: sisters or competitiveness um, yes. anyway, and then to have a twin who is at least considered by others, you know, so much more mm-hmm. you know, attractive or talented or whatever, whatever kind of, you know, kind of hurt my heart a little bit and, um, also yeah. helped inspire, uh, this idea.
1: Right. Um, do you have a favorite out of the four sisters?
0: Favorite? <laughs> Gosh, I don't know if I have a favorite. I mean, there's, I, I respect and admire Sarah. I wish I were more like her. (laughs) I would relate the most to Emily. Uh, She's a little bit, at least when the series starts, she's a little bit more flighty, a little bit more of a flirt, but she also, Mm. uh, she wants to be a writer. So I can relate uh, to that. She's kind of the passionate, um, but she will grow and change. And then, but Viola kind of, she's the one that I fell in love with, or, you know, she just kind of took over my heart and ended up being Mm. A much larger part of that book. And what I've heard from readers so far is that they love Viola, too. Yeah. Um, I love the story that uh, I gave her and love watching her kind of come out of her seclusion, her shell, and find, start living and also find love. So that was very satisfying to write. Nice. So that's not a very good answer. I guess I like them all. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> okay.
1: <laughs> um, so what themes or lessons do you hope readers pick up on while reading the Sisters of View*? Hmm.
0: I don't necessarily write with a lot of lessons in mind. I mean, there certainly are, you know, themes here of um, mm-hmm. kind of like how what we view is important and, you know, do we see that looks are the be-all, end-all, or can can we look beneath the surface and value people right. uh, who we wouldn't necessarily think on first glance that we would uh, want to be with or want to spend time with? There's certainly an element of that, which is timeless. That's a struggle <laughs> for, mm-hmm. especially for women. We were kind of raised to be so concerned about uh, yeah. about our looks. Um, so that there's certainly a part of that, and then there's some there's some themes of loyalty in there as well. Um, just you know, the, the sisters struggle with that. You know, there's all those you know, kind of I don't want to say cat fights, but there's certainly some uh, some tensions there. But in the end, these sisters will you know go to the wall for each other um, as right. well. Which I think is I don't have sisters, but I have brothers, and I think there is a, an element of truth to that,
1: um, oh, which definitely. I
0: enjoyed enjoyed looking into as well.
1: Right. I grew up with three brothers. Um, uh-huh. I, and then are my you the pa- youngest or uh, no, I have two older brothers and one younger brother. Well, that I grew up with. And then my parents kept, um, they adopted four children. So I did get sisters, but oh I was, my goodness. <laughs> I was already, family. yes, yes. I was already in, um, college, but I, I stayed home to commute to college. So I did, you know, they are my sisters. Um, but it's, it's just so interesting because I feel like I have, I didn't grow up with sisters, but I can see that kind of. Is that
0: quite an adjustment after brothers?
1: I, I always, I mean, I think you mentioned these are the sisters you always wanted. I always wanted sisters. I When my youngest, my younger brother was born, I cried because he was a boy. <laughs> and um, so it was, um, it was very nice to have sisters, but they they are so much younger than I am that we were in a very different stage of life. But as adults, then, you know, they become your friends and. And how, they,
0: how many sisters did you say you adopted? Well, all together, I have
1: three sisters now. So.
0: Okay. So three brothers. Like, did I count right? Three brothers? I,
1: I actually have four brothers now, but oh my <laughs> originally, I had, so there, there are eight of us. Um, okay. Yeah. We nice actually family. tragically lost one of my sisters last Last year, last I Christmas. Am so,
0: so sorry. That's thank be you. Super tough. Can't yeah, imagine.
1: I, I didn't mean to bring that or plan to bring that up, but I no, can't say no, I have. There are eight deal. of us because there aren't yeah. eight of us anymore. And you but, should
0: still mention them. I mean, that's yeah. yeah. That was still part of your. She was still a part of your life for a long time. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, it's um right, and you don't. I don't think. Maybe it even made me realize more how much, um sisters mean Mm. even as adults you know
0: true there's something there is that about human nature when we sometimes we don't know what we have till we lose it or almost lose Mm -hmm. it well i'm sorry for your loss
1: thank you thanks um we're getting through it (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: So, Sorry, now I'm derailed. <laughs> no, that's well, What were okay. we talking about books? <laughs> we, were book talking, yeah,
1: we were talking about the book and sisters. And um, so I'm curious, just because I've never talked to you before, I want to know a little bit about your research and writing process. And, um, you know, once you get an idea for a book like this, where do you go with it?
0: Right. Well, you know, and I have, I've actually taught classes at writer's conferences about Ah. research. So I'm not, I don't consider myself necessarily an expert, but I've certainly learned a lot, but I'm going to give you just a, just a quick few points. Um, I do start online. Mm. um, Just because that's easy to kind of find a lot of information, quick see what's out there. And when you're looking at a blog post or there's all kinds of sites about Jane Austen, this or Regency history that, but often they will list, their sources. And then I go buy lots of old dusty books mm. <laughs> secondhand um, because yeah. I love to have the actual books, the, the sources. I loved it use all kinds of tabbies. And I don't know, some people don't like when people must mess with books, but that's for research books. I love that. I mark yes. them up, highlight tabbies. Yes. Um, so at least before I start, I want to have that kind of, the base of research. I don't want to start off writing and then find out, Oh, that could never have happened in this time period, or that profession didn't even exist or whatever. Right, so you have right. to do some foundational research, but I've also learned over the years You know that research is never going to write a book, so you have to put the research aside and uh, you know do your plotting, do your character work, and write. Mm -hmm. And then there's, of course, there's all kinds of spot research. You're coming along, you know, writing along. Oh, wait, do they have this invention? Do they use this word? Whatever it is, you have to stop. And I try when I'm being self-disciplined, which is not often enough. I uh, (laughs) you know put in you know double brackets or something, right? Research check whatever uh, because you know, you have written a historical n- novel as well and you know it's so easy to go to go researching one little thing yes. and spend an hour on something that you don't necessarily even need to know right um, and then other thing another thing i've learned to do i'm not i'm kind of an introvert i don't i'm not super brave mm-hmm. about you know asking strangers for help but email in you know, the whole online world has made me uh, braver so i have learned to ask experts, um, where you can, you know, I had to know something about blacksmithing for one of my books, I emailed the Williamsburg blacksmith shop. Oddly enough, they have email addresses, and they answered, (laughs) the blacksmiths (laughs) answered my questions very happily. I found, you know, I have occasionally will have a French character. And my college French is very rusty. So I have found, you know, there's sites where you can link up with with uh, speakers of from different countries. And They're happy to answer questions um, that, you know, so finding an expert in whatever field or area that I'm setting a book in is something that I think has helped a great deal. And then for this novel, you know, in particular, of course, I read all I could about Sidmouth, about seaside resorts in the early 19th century uh, Mm -hmm. and learned all I could because the the Brits then and now they love their seaside. um, But back then they also thought it had a lot of health benefits um, they thought sea bathing year round, all of that was mm. super good for your health. They even drank seawater, which, of course, oh. we would shudder at today. But I found it interesting to learn about uh, those customs. Yeah, you must have had to do tons of research you uh, to write your novel. Are you, <laughs> I do. Are you doing any research presently, or what are you working on?
1: I, I am. I'm actually. I've written two other manuscripts after that one that are oh. so I have two other complete manuscripts. Good um, for you,
0: Allison. Well, that's awesome. So many and, people dream about writing, but finish, finishing, finishing <laughs> novels. That's
1: right. It's, it's the part after good. finishing it. That's been harder for me, which is, you know, getting an agent. So this, the first novel came out with a small publisher and while they did a good job, I just felt afterwards that I wanted, um, my other novels to be published with a larger publisher. So okay. that, but that has stalled it completely because I can't make, you know, I can't just um, send it off to, right. you know, yeah. Bethany House or Harper and Row and, and hope. Yeah. <laughs> right. You have to get an agent. And that's difficult, especially right now. Yes. I think it's especially.
0: Well, but. I did look at your book and it's now it's set in the 1860s in the US, but it has yes. wonderful reviews, so hopefully oh, that's thank you. you know, that's a good sign and hopefully
1: Yeah, those who've that. read it have liked it. <laughs> yeah, so have you always been a writer? Can you tell me about your path to publication?
0: Um I have always wanted wanted to be a writer. Um well, First, I wanted to be a mermaid, and then a marine biologist. But after that,
1: <laughs> well, everybody wants. Everybody goes to that stage of wanting to be a marine yeah. biologist,
0: right? Maybe I lived a mermaid. Central Illinois, you know, landlocked Central <laughs> Illinois. That dream was not going to get off the ground. Um, oh. But no, I. I mean, I, and I like a lot of. I'm sure you too. You know, I grew up just. I loved books. I loved reading, yes. and I was writing stories. You know, from the second grade, I my mm-hmm. mom would save these little stories and things. So I have always wanted be a writer, I do think like you, that God put that, that dream, um, in me, but it mm-hmm. took a long time. You know, I've started, stopped and started so many things over the years and took every writing class I could, you know, in college and all that. Yeah. Um, but I will, I won't go into all the details, but I ended up, God was very good to me in my path. I'm going to work to marketing and advertising and my path led me to work for a, a Christian publishing house in marketing, but that was such a good training ground, you know, working with, um, with that industry. And eventually I moved to the editorial side. So I worked as an editor with fiction, which what a blessing. Cause then I was working with talented editors and talented authors, much, more, you know, much more skilled than I, uh, that I am. Um, so that's where I was. And then I was in my forties before I, I really got serious. And, mm. uh, part of that was my husband got laid off for the you know second or third time. And, um, was laid off for a longer period, and I'm like, "Huh, maybe this would be a good time to quit procrastinating, <laughs> and finish that novel." Uh, so you know, sometimes that necessity really is the mother of invention, or yeah, whatever that saying is. So, so that's when I finished my my first historical, and then. Um, didn't know if it was going to be weird to go to Bethany house since I work there. Is that a conflict of interest? So I kind of confided to my boss on the side and I said, you know, if I should just take it somewhere else. And he said, no, I want to, let's see it, but let's, we sent it around under with a pseudonym with somebody with a different Ah. name. Um, and he was saying that way it'll be fair. And I was thinking, yeah. And that way, when my coworkers think it's ridiculous, I can still show my face at work the next day. <laughs> so I had a nervous few weeks, I can tell you. But um, thankfully, they they want they liked it and they wanted to publish it. And after that, the cat was out of the bag, and I've been edited. You know, just as hard as I'd ever edited anyone else. And right, um, but that's how I got started. And that was uh, Lady of Milkweed Manor, which came out in hmm, I want to say 2008. Something like okay. That. So I've been at this for whatever that is. I'm not good with numbers, but I think I have 18 novels out there now. So 15, 16 years, something like that. Wow,
1: so, yeah. that's amazing. So, and so I kept
0: working, for, you know, for a few years because it takes time. Yes. You know, don't quit your day job. It takes time, you know, for you for couldn't you to build up make your up leadership. for your
1: husband being laid off right away. <laughs> okay,
0: well, that too. Um, so then, I, yeah. So now I've been just a full, just a writer for the last I don't know over a dozen years. Nice. And I'm blessed because this is my my lifelong dream come true. Right, but it, it wasn't an overnight thing. You know, I said I was well into my 40s before it. Right. Before I got serious.
1: Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, your story reminds me well, not not how long it took, but um, it reminds me a little bit of Amy Lynn Green, mm, who yes. also was in you know worked for Bethany House and.
0: Yes, Um, I know. I had to go personally. Yeah. Yeah. I published this for a while. And I wasn't like, I was already not in the office at that point. So I didn't know her personally as well as other people. So I did not realize pretty late in the game that she was also a a writer, but yeah. So does that mean
1: you did not need an agent
0: because I did not have an agent when I first started and this, you know, again, this is back in two thousand and eight. So how many right. years ago is that? Are you good with numbers? But <laughs> fifteen <laughs> years. No, but things were quite see. a bit simpler back 15. then. Right. Things were simpler back then, and I also I worked for Bethany House at that point, mm-hmm. and I had complete trust in the people yes. that were going to be signing my, you know, putting together the contracts and things. Uh, but over the years, things got more complicated, and the Bethany House was bought by Baker Books, which I. I have a high level of trust for them too, but things got more complicated. Right. Contracts got much longer. And then when I left, you know, stopped being an employee at Bethany House, um, then I got a got an agent. So now I, I have been agented, except for, I think, my first, I don't know, four or five books, but mm-hmm. um, I have had an agent since then. Just to help all, with all that kind of the legal side and the money side. I'm glad that yeah. someone helped me with with all of that.
1: Right so I want to circle back a little bit to when we were talking about England before and those Mm -hmm. who have read your books and are familiar with you, they know that you love the author, Jane Austen, and also um, the Charlotte Bronte book, Jane Eyre. So how has the interest in these Janes influenced your writing?
0: You know, it's, to me, it's, when I look back, it's just so interesting how, you know, I, as I mentioned, I grew up in Illinois. Mm -hmm. Why in the world was I, Fascinated with England, but I think we're so influenced by what we read, for good or or not so good, you know, at a young age. And I, and one of the earliest, I mean, I read a lot of mis- like Trixie Belden mysteries. But then one of the other books I read was The Secret Garden. I think I was in third oh, grade, yeah. And then in the sixth grade, my my teacher read Jane Eyre to us mm. out loud over, you know, several. I don't know how long it took. It's a big book, several months. Um, And she read it with such emotion and love. And and I obviously was very impacted um, Mm -hmm. by that. So I always wanted to, I always loved books. I always thought about writing, but that's probably why I fell in love with England, even before I'd ever been there. I didn't get to go to England until after my first book was written and contracted. Um, But that's, I think that's, you know, where that where that love started. I am embarrassed to say that I had—I don't think I had read Jane Austen until I saw the uh, BBC version oh. know, with with Colin well, Firth and all the of best version. And... I yeah. Mean. Oh, I love you, Alison. Yes, <laughs> the best version. Um, and just was like, where has this been all my life? And of course, right. gobbled up all the other adaptations I could find, and then um, read the books. Um, which I actually I, – I would recommend that to people who haven't dipped their toe in because I will say trying to read those books, if you don't have that that context, it is – they're, you know, an older style. Sometimes it's a little hard to catch yes. um, the nuances, what's really going on here, and, and her humor. She is so – Jane Austen is so witty. Yes. But if you – hadn't heard, you know, one of these very talented British actors deliver some of those lines, you might not catch all of that in, right. in just reading the book. So I love them both now, but um, mm-hmm. it's it was um, seeing them first that kind of made me fall in love um, with that era. So that's why particularly right in the Regency era, mm-hmm. it's because of Colin Firth. <laughs> Isn't that a very deep spiritual... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Intellectual answer, but yeah, it is that falling in love with that, with that romance, Um, right? Which, of course, you know, you know from research, you you, you can idealize. Oh, the the simpler
1: times. Sure.
0: Oh, I wish I used to think. Oh, I was born in the wrong era. I want to just, you know, all those handsome gentlemen in the tall boots and wear pretty dresses and dance at balls. Well, we all know that that's not all there was to it, and. uh after all the research, uh, you know, I'm very thankful for modern conveniences, <laughs> yes. and sanitation, um, and as we talked about healthcare and all of that. But right, but that's what that's what got me started on that that quest, and okay. certainly that you know that that love of the, the strong women, those interesting situations, uh, women yes. kind of bucking the system in a way, if you were that that uh, which I think both Janes, yes. Uh, demonstrate um, it certainly impacted me as well
1: sure so it's all thanks to Colin Firth
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes I should write him a thank you note me and you know 4,000 other uh, (laughs) romance novelists who write novels in this time period
1: yes so you know I know that you're working on the next book in this series and do you know how many books there will be in this series
0: yes Uh, well I'm Who knows if something will get changed in the the future. But the plan is for three main books. Um, Mm -hmm. So I've written two of them. And then there's one more for sure, full length. And Mm -hmm. then I've recently contracted to do a Christmas novella to kind of tie it up. And this, I don't know if you know, but of the 18 books I mentioned, I've written uh, most of those are standalone. But I do have one series the Tales from Ivy Hill series, and that was so. I've done this once, um, the three books and a novella, and that seemed okay. to work um, fairly well. So, we're gonna follow that pattern nice. again. So, I feel pretty good that two of them are under my belt. Well, not under my belt, there will be lots. Of, there's always lots of revisions. I have excellent editors, but they don't go easy on me, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I will be making many, many revisions to the. The book before I'm actually done with it, but Mm -hmm. um, at least the first, the first full draft is written. So I feel good about that.
1: That's nice. Yeah. Good good place to be. Yeah. So this is a question I ask all my guests. Okay. How, how do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present?
0: Wow. That is a really good question, Alison. I don't think I've been asked that um, before. you know, I don't know. I I hope, you know, we've all heard that, that little nugget of wisdom that how, you know, history helps us learn from past mistakes. So hopefully we don't repeat them. Um, And hopefully there's a a nugget of truth of that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I feel like I have learned, you know, I mentioned that whole ideal of the simpler times, but I feel like I've learned, you know, reading about these real people and reading biographies and things that, you know what, people are people then as now. And we have kind of the same weaknesses. We have the same, you know, kind of desires for love and significance then. Mm -hmm. And now there was just as many complicated, you know, political things and all of that in the, in the past times as well. So it actually, I think you can, you know, can learn from kind of that human nature um, that that doesn't change. I mean, Mm -hmm. thankfully writing about um, things like the cleft palate issue, Yes. Uh, and the prejudices and, and you know, all those stereotypes and superstitions related to that thing. You can read it and think, wow, I am glad we've come a long way. Right. I've written about other characters who've had, you know, mental health issues, which was a, I mean, it's still a difficult thing, but it was much more, right. know, we were much more ostracized back then. So I do think we have, in some ways, we've improved, but at the heart, we're still people. -hmm. Still people who, you know, get in a lot of trouble who still, you know, need a savior and forgiveness and and love and all of those things. So I I would like to hear your answer to that because I've (laughs) you've probably heard a lot of good answers doing, (laughs) doing this. I don't know if I have a good answer. Yeah,
1: I have. Um and I just always come back to I do think it helps us. I think that we can learn from history if we look at kind of like as a whole, as civilizations have, how they've, different civilizations have risen and fallen and um, almost if we look at what what their downfall was, it's kind of sobering and I think can wake us up to things that are happening in our world. Um, I think it just can give us more of a a more accurate perspective maybe on on things going on today if we take into account things that have happened in history. <laughs> that might be a little cryptic. But <laughs>
0: no, I think you're right um, though. I mean you, th- you know, especially you think for younger people who think, oh no, like, you know, this is a pandemic or whatever, pick anything. Yeah. And this yeah. is the end of the world. This is but you know, we we've, we've been through pandemics before. Right. Also
1: the the fact that like we think this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Well, no it's not. Right. And <laughs> people have lived through
0: yeah and the, you know things learning about you know the wars and how people right you know and all yeah that's I think that's I think that's true. and I think it's easy for a lot of us who had fairly easy lives to kind of forget mm-hmm. to forget some of those hard lessons that other people have kind of been forced to learn the hard way, um, right better if we could learn them without having to go through some of those hard situations but no, that's yeah, a and i
1: I think also uh, to think of um even the the history of our country of the U S how we are, we have had an easy life Mm -hmm. and it's because compared to the people who built our country, who came Mm -hmm. first and, and, you know, struggled and despite all the flaws and the mistakes that were made in that, you know, by those people. And, um, you know, there are things that definitely, should have been done differently and better, and um, but at the same time, the the freedom and the um, luxury that we enjoy and we expect now right. was not won easily. Hmm. So,
0: yeah, good point. So, may I ask, is your the the two books that you've written since your first one are they also um, kind of this you know, Civil War or Underground Railroad, or are they different?
1: They well the the one that I wrote after One Traveler was um, actually about a slave girl in the 1840s in Baltimore um, and her quest for freedom. So it's a similar vein and it's actually a character from One Traveler. Okay. Um, so it tells her story and I love that book, but it's um, a, I guess it's not well received from a white woman. So I'm either going to yeah. have to rewrite it or, or something. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, it's but, a little trickier to... Yes. Yeah, and I understand that. Um, however, I wonder if in the future, someday I might add a white character. And I mean, it does have white characters, but maybe a white POV character would um, make it more palatable. I'm not sure.
0: That's a good point. That probably, not, that probably yeah, would.
1: At, I don't think I'm quite ready to, to do that at this point. But... My next book, um, I moved on and wrote um, a story about an immigrant from Eastern Europe in 1911. Mm. And it's a dual timeline and her great-granddaughter is reading and translating her journal in 2001. So 90 years apart, um, you know, the the great-grandmother has passed away and the great-granddaughter is learning about her life and... Um, there are you know secrets involved the grandmother does not want the great-granddaughter to read you know the grandmother who's living the daughter of the great-grandmother does Mm -hmm. not want the great-granddaughter to um, translate the journal and you know there Mm -hmm. are reasons for that so that sounds interesting yeah well I love that book so I'm hoping praying that eventually it finds a a home so
0: <laughs> and it sounds like so that one could be a standalone or so that yes easier in a way to find a home for okay yeah that sounds intriguing
1: yeah we shall see yeah,
0: all the best all the best on that thank
1: you um so this has been a really a great conversation where i enjoyed
0: it and i hope you did too
1: yeah definitely what is the best way for listeners to follow you
0: well, I spend way too much time on Facebook. So author Julie Klassen on Facebook is a great place to find me. Also, um, one of the joys of this writing experience or writing journey is uh, teaming up with other writers. So two of my writing buddies, Michelle Greep and Eric Kvetch, who also write books set in England in the Regency mm. and Victoria era. We have a group on Facebook called Inspirational Regency Readers. Oh. And uh, we all hang out on there and we're, you know, we're posting our favorite, who's your favorite, you know, Mr. Darcy, all kinds any kind of new adaptation, <laughs> you know, our new, you know, any kind of uh, thing about England and travel dreams and love book, love of books, we all share that on that uh, group page. So that would be another fun place uh, right. for people to connect with me as well as authors who write in this same time period.
1: Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being with us today.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Allison.
1: Well, friends, I know you enjoyed that conversation with Julie. She was just so interesting and had so many great things to say. Um, I just want to remind you, I already talked to you at the beginning of the program about joining the Facebook group, but also if you go to the show notes, you can get to Julie's books and her website and different ways to follow her that she mentioned. And, um, I also want to ask for your support for the show in several ways. The first way is by just following the show or subscribing in whatever app you enjoy listening on. And the next step is to rate and review the show. It only takes a few minutes at the most to leave a review of the show. And there are several reasons to do this. One It lets me know that you enjoy it. You have no idea. When I put the blood, sweat, and tears into this show, it means so much to get a review of the show and to know, oh, people are listening, they appreciate it, and it helps them find new authors or new books to read. The other reason to rate and review the show is that it helps new listeners find the show. So that helps other people be able to listen and hear these great conversations with authors. So after you subscribe, rate, and review the show, you can also join the Facebook group, and you can follow us on Instagram at Historical Fiction Unpacked. Now, if you would like to go a step further and support the show with your pocketbook, that would be amazing to help us keep the lights on. Just go to my Patreon account to see the different tiers available, and that can be found at patreon.com slash Treat. You can also get there from the show notes, and the show notes live at allisontreecom slash blog. So the moral of the story is to visit the show notes either in your listening app or online. Now, friends, if you are a longtime listener, you know that every show closes with a quote. This one comes from Marcus Garvey. A people without the knowledge of their past history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. So do learn about your history, my friends, and keep reading historical fiction because that's one way to do that. I'll talk to you again next week.